All right, well, good morning, y'all. It's good to see you. My name is Andrew. Uh, I am the lead pastor here. Uh, I am excited for baptisms. It is the high point of this morning. Uh, I also did want to prep y'all in case this is the worst sermon you've ever heard. We've got something to look forward to, all right? Uh, Hopefully it won't be. We're in Acts chapter uh, 15 and 16 today. We're in the series called Acts, the Church on the Move. We have been moving right along through this series. This is week number 12. Uh, One of the things we say around here is that our mission as a church is to help people find full life in Christ in community and in living on mission. Uh, and, and so in other words, we want to grow ourselves uh, and then we want to help others to grow. We want to know God and we want to make him known. We want to become disciples and then we want to make disciples. This is really what it's all about. This is what our focus is in particular this year, what we're calling the year of mission. And this is what the book of Acts is, is all about. It's about people receiving the truth of the gospel, growing in it, and then taking it and passing it on taking it to the ends of the earth. And I just want to share with you all just a little timeline of the book of Acts. We've been working through this over the last, uh, again, this is week number 12. Uh, I just want to give you kind of an, an idea of, of the time frame that we're looking at. We've actually covered about 20 years worth of time uh, over these last 11, 12, uh, you know, 15 chapters, actually. So it, it starts back in uh, chapter 2 when, you know, Jesus goes up in chapter 1, the Holy Spirit descends in chapter 2. That took place in about 38 And then Saul, this pivotal player, we'll see him today, uh, Saul or Paul was converted. He came to faith in Christ uh, in Acts chapter 9 around 36 uh, AD. Uh, The church at Antioch, this missionary church, is established uh, in chapter 11, which is about 43 AD. Uh, Paul's first mission trip, so we we kind of touched on this back a couple weeks ago on Easter. Uh, Paul takes this missionary journey to establish churches uh, in Cyprus, this island of Cyprus, and then Galatia. Asia, this Asia minor area, that took place around 48 uh, AD. Uh, And then last week what we saw, Jay brought us into Acts chapter 15 where we saw this Jerusalem council that made this really, really important uh, conclusion. The the, the question at hand with the Jerusalem council that we saw last week in Acts 15 was, how does somebody come, uh, how does somebody be saved? How How is someone forgiven of their sins? And the argument, the teaching was, well, you believe in Jesus, plus you have to follow the law of Moses, plus you have to be you know, circumcised. And the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council last week was, no, faith in Jesus alone. It's by grace alone. Jesus plus nothing. And that was a very important conclusion and verdict uh, that the apostles and elders of the Jerusalem Council came to. Well then today we're going to move into Paul's second missionary journey which is in about 51 AD. Uh, and so you see we have, you know, we, when we read through the Bible, like when we read through the book of Acts, we're like okay, event, 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 event. So we're assuming these all just line up back to back to back. But as you can see, this has been over the course of about 20, 21 years of, of time that we've covered, all right? So a lot of things happening over a period of time as the church is being established and growing and the gospel is going out. So today we're going to be in the second mission trip of of Paul. This is what we would call the, the Macedonian call. In other words, the gospel gets to Europe the continent of Europe, and that's what we'll see today. And I want to read you this quote to kind of lead us off by a guy named John Stott. I quote him a lot through uh, this series. Here's what Stott said. He said, The most notable feature of Paul's second missionary expedition is that during it, the good seed of the gospel was now planted in European soil for the first time. With the benefit of hindsight, now as we look back on history, we know that Europe became the first Christian continent and was until fairly recently the main base for missionary outreach to the rest of the world. Uh, And so because of that, we can see what a significant development this was, what we see today. It was from Europe that in due course, the gospel fanned out to the great continents of Africa, Asia, North America, Latin America, and Oceania, and so reached the ends of the earth. And so what we see today is pretty, pretty important. The gospel gets to Europe, and from Europe, it's going to continue to reach the ends of the earth. And so today's sermon is called, Come Over and Help Us. This is, this is drawing from the words of this Macedonian call that we'll see in Acts 15 and 16. Come over and help us. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into the scriptures this morning. 
Oh, Lord, we've, we've already been in your presence, and we are in your presence, and we've been worshiping you today, and uh, what an amazing thing to be able to sing to you, to be able to declare our praise uh, with, our, with our lips and with our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we open your word, as we look into the things that you have revealed to us about who you are and all that you have done and all that you want to do in us, uh, God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would... Uh, help us to see and understand the things that you want us to see and understand today. Uh, and so, Lord, would you bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me start with really the big idea, the bottom line for this morning. You're going to see this kind of play out through Acts 15 and 16. And here is, is this thought. God is always orchestrating things to accomplish his purposes. God is always at work orchestrating things to accomplish his purposes. And he uses those who follow his lead. He uses those who follow his lead. He, he will use those who don't follow his lead, but he, he in particular wants to bless and use people who follow his lead in what he is doing in the world. We see this really throughout the book of, of Acts, but we'll see it especially today in chapter 16. We see the, the superintendence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit at work. And we've, we've been seeing it for, for 14, 15 chapters now. We'll see it again today. So let me give you a, really a quick uh, synopsis the three points that we'll cover today. Growth in the gospel, advancement of the gospel, and then obedience for the gospel. Those will be the three things that we cover today. Uh, so first thing is this, growth in the gospel. We see this in chapter 15. And with each of these points, I've kind of given like a, a word. And, and the word in, in this part is discipleship. We see growth in the gospel. So I just want to jump to a few verses here. Uh, we, we went through a lot of chapter 15 last week. We left off the last section of chapter 15. So I want to pick up uh, coming off of that Jerusalem council and this decision that they've made, this conclusion that salvation is by grace. Chapter 15, verse 36, it says this, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, and this is the reason why I bring up the timeline, because a lot of times in the book of Acts, we, we don't get like times and years and dates. We get after some days. All right, I don't know how long after some days is. It was just, it was a while, okay? After some days, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So, so what we see here is on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, they established churches, they, they preached the word, and, and churches were started. Now what Paul is saying to Barnabas is this, hey, Barnabas, let's return. Let's go visit all the, 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 the believers and the churches that we established. Why? So that we can see how they are, see how they're doing. We want to follow up with them. We want to disciple them. We want to disciple these believers and these churches. So for Paul, this is important. The goal wasn't just decisions. The goal was disciples. He wanted to grow disciples and strengthen them in their faith. It wasn't just to start churches. It was to strengthen churches. And, and, and as you move along, we'll jump to, to verse number 41. You see it here. It says, and they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This was, this, was God, this was Paul's whole point in making this second missionary trip. It was, hey, let's go revisit all those churches we've started, all the people that we've preached to, and let's see how they're doing. Let's strengthen them in their faith. And here is the result of that. If you drop, if you go to chapter 16, you look at verses 4 and 5, here's what it says. It says, as they went, their, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. In other words, that Jerusalem council, that whole decision, salvation is by grace alone. They're informing these churches and they're make sure, make, making sure they understand and they're rooted in this truth. And here's what it says in verse number five. So the churches were what? Strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. All right, so they're growing, they're strengthened in their faith, and they begin to add people daily, all the time. So if you've been around church for any length of time, there's, there's kind of this ongoing eternal debate. Do we as a church focus on evangelism, getting the good news to people, or do we focus on discipleship, raising people you know, in their faith, strengthening their faith? And, and what you see here is it's not either, 
either or, it's, it's both. It's, it's to establish them in their faith and it's to grow them up in their faith. Because what you see is that when the believers were strengthened, more people kept coming, more people kept coming to faith. They increased in numbers daily. And so you see this emphasis. I just want to point this out from the start. Like the point for Paul was, I want people to come to faith in Christ, but I want them to grow up in their faith. I want to disciple them. I want to strengthen them so that they can reach others. So we see growth in the gospel first here. here here's a second thing we see in chapters 15 and 16. We see advancement of the gospel. And the word I want to use for this is, is partnership. Partnership. Advancement of the gospel. In other words, the gospel goes further when we work together. And you see partnership all throughout the New Testament. Uh, it starts out with Jesus. Y'all remember Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. I'm just trying to see if y'all are awake. He had twelve disciples. All right. He had twelve disciples, but when he sent them out on mission, do y'all remember how he sent them out? Did he send them out one by one? No, he sent them out two by two. He sent them out in pairs. The, the, the point was, or the model was, gospel partnership. Like you don't do the work of the gospel on your own. So he would send them out two by two. And then we move into the book of Acts. We see this guy named Saul or Paul come to faith in Christ. And Paul is given a, a partner in ministry. What's his name? Barnabas. All right. So Paul and Barnabas, we see them in partnership in this very first missionary journey. They're going and, and spreading the gospel. But here we come to a, a little conflict, a little you know, brotherly disagreement. And so if you look at uh, chapter 15, verses uh, 37 through 41, here's what we see in, in, in this relationship with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, verse 37. So Paul said, hey, let's go return. Let's visit all these churches and every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Okay, Mark was with them on their first missionary journey. He is Barnabas's nephew. Okay, so there's a family relationship here. Uh, if you remember, you may have missed it, but what happens in chapter 13 is as they're making their way on this journey, Mark, who is with them, part of their missionary team, he, 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 uh, he backs out. He goes home. He goes back to Jerusalem. He leaves the team and goes home. We're not told why, but here we see some, some more details. Apparently, Paul didn't take too kindly to, to Mark dropping out uh, on their team because verse 38 says this. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So I'm just imagining that Paul was like, uh, I don't want to take Mark with us because you know what? He already bailed on us once. He didn't, he didn't see things through. He didn't finish things. And so I think it's best that we not take him with us. All right. So here's Barnabas who's like, man, this is my nephew. This is my boy. I want to bring him with us. And so verse 39 says this, and there, a, there arose a sharp disagreement. In other words, this was like an intense disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Now, again, they're partners, they're like brothers, but man, they are they're in conflict over this this issue of taking Mark with them. So, it says so they departed from each other. This this disagreement was so sharp that they agreed to separate from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. We saw Silas came up in the Jerusalem council. He was one of the, the leaders, the leading men, it says in chapter 15, uh, in the Jerusalem church. Paul says, hey, I want to take Silas with me. And it says they were commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. So here, here's what you see. This conflict, this disagreement arises. Paul and Barnabas agree to go their separate ways. Uh, the story doesn't tell us if like one of them was in the right and one of them was in the wrong, if one of them was in sin and the other wasn't, or if they were both in sin. All it says is they disagreed, they separated. And so for me, here, here's what I learned from this story, or just what I'm kind of reminded of, is that some earthly partnerships uh, are only seasonal. They don't last forever. They don't last for our whole lives. There are earthly partnerships that God has said should last forever, 
Okay, the husband-wife relationship, the husband-wife partnership, if you will, uh, the relationship between son or daughter of God and the church of God, brothers and sisters, those are relationships that should be lifelong. But, he's, but what we see here is that not every relationship, not every partnership is, is lasts forever. Some are only seasonal. So Barnabas takes Mark, Paul takes Silas. Uh, some would say, well, Paul was in the right because uh, God picks up his story and takes it along. You don't hear about Barnabas really from this point on. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, nonetheless, we see them separate. So I want to I bring up a map for you. I want to, again, just give you an idea of the second missionary trip Paul and Silas go on. So if you can see on the very far right side of, of that map, you see a yellow circle. That's Antioch, Assyria, really their home base. They, they leave from there and they take that northern uh, red uh, route all the way up through to Philippi, which is where they're going to land here in a moment. And so what I want, the reason I bring that uh, up for you is because I want you to see that when Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas in this case, are making these journeys to get the gospel out, it's not like they're going from like Lugoff to Camden. They're like they're going across the river, all right? Or they're even going like from Lugoff to Columbia. Like they are they are trekking over mountain ranges and they are traveling hundreds of miles. In fact, I just read this week uh, an estimate Paul during his ministry traveled 10,000 miles and established up to 14 churches. And so this was labor. This is, was work. And so they're making their way on this second missionary journey. They're going to end up in Philippi in just, uh, in just a little bit here. But the advancement of the gospel, here's, here's what I want to see. Let's, let's jump into chapter 16. There, there's another partner added to the ministry team. We see in chapter 16, 1 through 3, it says this. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, which just as a reminder, Lystra was where Paul was, was stoned on his last missionary trip. And so this is the devotion that Paul has. He's, he's, he's going back to the place where he has been stoned and left for dead, but he's going back because he wants to check on the brothers, the church. And so it comes to, to Derby and to Lystra. It says that a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So let, let me just touch on this for a second because here, here Paul goes back to Lystra. We're introduced to this young disciple named Timothy who probably came to faith in Christ during Paul's first missionary journey as Paul came to Lystra. Probably is when Timothy and his mother and grandmother came to faith in Christ. And Paul sees the growth in this young man. He says, man, I want to take, I want to take Timothy with us on this trip and so here, here's, here's something I just want to touch on briefly because some of you might be confused based on what we saw last week. The Jerusalem Council said, hey, Gentiles don't have to believe and, and follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. In particular, they don't have to believe and be circumcised. They don't need that for salvation. And then we fast forward or we just like jump right into the very next chapter, the first three verses. Here comes young Tim and all of a sudden he has surgery. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Chapter 15 just said, you don't have to be circumcised. And then like a few verses later, Timothy is circumcised. Paul has him circumcised. Well, what is up with that? Is that a contradiction? No, it's, it's not. Because what is happening here, this is not a matter of salvation. He didn't have to be circumcised in order to be saved or forgiven of his sins. No, this was more of a, mission, a matter of missional strategy. In other words, Timothy, it says, it's very specific. His mom was Jewish. His dad was a Greek. And so by rabbinic law, because his mother was Jewish, that meant people saw Timothy as Jewish. And so everywhere that they were going to go and, and all the Jews that they were going to encounter, Timothy, if, if Timothy was uncircumcised, he would have offended all the Jews. And so as a matter of not offending those Jewish, uh, those Jewish people, he said, why don't, you get, why don't you get circumcised? This is not to cleanse you of your sins. This is not so God will uh, look more highly upon you. No, 
you're just being considerate of those who need the gospel who are Jewish, that this might offend them. This is really no different than what we saw back in chapter 15 where it said, believe in Jesus, that's all, but hey, don't, we would recommend that you not eat food that was offered to idols, uh, food that was uh, strangled with blood, that blood was shed, or commit sexual immorality. Those weren't things for salvation. Those were things to say, hey, I don't want you to offend your Jewish brothers. And so here's what we would recommend. All right, and this is really a case of, of, of Paul saying, uh, like he said in 1 Corinthians 9, hey, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. His goal was to reach people with the gospel. And if this thing of circumcision was going to be a stumbling block for Jewish people, he said, just do that. Just do it so you won't offend them, so that they will be open to the truth of the gospel. Later on in Galatians 2, you see Titus, who was another young pastor or leader. And and Paul had a different reaction. He said, no way. Titus will not get circumcised. He doesn't need to get circumcised. Well, why was that different? It's because Titus was a Greek. He wasn't a Jew, so the circumstances were different, all right? So I just wanted to point that out because I know some of you go, what is up with that? This, I mean, I always am like, what's up with circumcision? Why do we always have to talk about that in the scriptures? But it was so important to Jewish believers. This was a sign. This was basically saying you are committed to the Messiah, and so they had to clear that up there. So advancement of the gospel. What we see here is you see this missionary team forming, that the gospel works through partnerships, that the gospel is advanced through first Paul and Barnabas. Now it's Paul and Silas. Plus, now you have Timothy who is added to the team. All right, here's, here's the third thing and really where I want to spend really most of our time this morning is obedience for the gospel. Obedience for the gospel. And the word that I'm using here is, is providence. Providence, which just means God's uh, orchestration of things, that God orchestrates providentially things to accomplish his purposes. And so what we see throughout the rest of the book of, uh, throughout the chapter, uh, chapter 16 in Acts, is we see Paul's obedience to the Holy Spirit, and we see the result of his obedience to the Holy Spirit. So let's start with his obedience to the Holy Spirit. And this is so important. It leads into everything else we see in Acts 16, starting in verse number six, working through verse number 10. So, It says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So pay attention there. They're wanting to preach the word in Asia, but the Holy Spirit says, "Uh uh-uh, no, not there. All right, verse number seven. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. This is their second, like plan B. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. All right, so they're wanting to go and preach in, 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 in Asia. Holy Spirit says no. They want to go into Bithynia. The Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus, it says, forbids them. Verse number eight. All right, here's option number three. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Verse number nine. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so here, here's what we see going on. The, the, the Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go into Asia. What it's speaking about here is this Roman province of, of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It says, nope, I don't want you to go there. Uh, they want to go into Bithynia. The Spirit says, nope, don't want you to go there. So, they, so it's as if, and, and, and the scriptures don't tell us how that happens. How did the Holy Spirit say no to them? I don't know. Maybe it was circumstances, um, didn't present themselves. Maybe they all had the sense of, oh, we're not supposed to, to do this or go here. I don't know what it was, but it was clear to them. God said, don't go here, don't go here. So they went here, they went to Troas, and there is where Paul had this vision, what we call the Macedonian call. And so what you have here, Macedonia was this country north of Greece, it was this European country, and so this man from Macedonia, in this vision that Paul, that Paul has, he represented Europe. 
And his cry, which was, hey, come, come over here. Come to Macedonia and help us. He was urging them, please come and help us. His cry was, this was, this was like Europe's cry for, it was their need for Christ. And they were calling, they were saying, hey, come, bring the gospel to us here in Europe. This was the Macedonian call. And what it says is, you know, when they heard this, when they saw this vision and this call to come, they all concluded, this was God telling us, we need to preach the gospel to them. So here's, here's an interesting thing in, in this moment. Actually, let me, let me read this quote to you first. The, the theologian A.T. Pearson, he calls this the double guidance of the apostle and his companions. On the one hand, prohibition and restraint. They were prohibited or restrained from going over here and over here. And on the other hand, permission and constraint. They were permitted, they were constrained or compelled to go in this direction. So they are forbidden in one direction, they're invited in another. One way the Spirit says, go not, the other he calls, come. And so this is, sometimes we use the language in the Christian life about, you know, God closing doors and God opening doors. And here we kind of see that kind of scenario playing out where God prohibits or restrains them from going to different areas, but then he permits them. He compels them to go in different areas. And so this is what's taken place here. And there is something interesting that I just want to mention here. Verse number 10, we see the, lang the language in this book shift from, uh, from them, and, the, uh, them and, and they to we and us. If you look back at verse number uh, 10, it says, When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so what we see at this point is, is Dr. Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts. This is when Luke joins the team, the missionary team. Dr. Luke comes along. He says, hey, this is what God has compelled us to do. And you see that language here for a little bit. Paul is, or Luke joins the missionary team. So you have Paul and Silas. Timothy joins this partnership, this gospel team. Now Dr. Luke joins the group as well. So Paul is obedient to the Holy Spirit, but he, here is what we're getting to. This is what this has all been building up to. The result of, of Paul's obedience to the Holy Spirit. It's three life-changing stories. And, and I wish we could, honestly, I wish we could spend uh, a week on, on each of these, but we don't have that. So I hope that what you'll do this week is as you dig into the reading, as you, as you read through chapter 16, man, you'll just camp out there a little bit. Uh, I do want to read through these and I want to see some important things here, uh, but man, we're not going to be able to give it the time that it deserves. But man, three life-changing stories. You see the story of Lydia. Uh, you see the story of a slave girl. You see the story of the Philippian jailer uh, in the rest of this chapter. So let's kind of read through them, and I, I want us to see just a few things in each story. And in fact, before we jump into the reading, I want to show you this, uh, another nerdy thing, but I want you to see this, this chart from Tim Keller that shows the difference in these three people. All right, that, that God reaches. Uh, very different people, very different backgrounds and situations. You see uh, Lydia, who uh, she is, uh, she's Asian. She is wealthy. She is a God-fearer. And, and she comes to faith in Christ through like this public exposition, the, the preaching of, of God's word. But then you have this slave girl that we'll see here. She is a native Greek. She's not wealthy. She's poor. She's tormented by evil spirits. She's possessed by a demon. And so for her to come to faith in Christ, it requires this dramatic exorcism, right? And we'll see that briefly here in chapter 16. And then you have the third character in, in, in chapter 16. It's this Philippian jailer. He's Roman. He's not wealthy. He's not poor. He's just blue collar. Uh, he's practical and indifferent. Really, there's nothing said about his, his spiritual beliefs. But what brings him to Christ is, is a powerful miracle and the example of, of Christ's followers. And so let's jump in. Let's read through these stories. And let me point out a few things uh, as we see the result of, of Paul's obedience to go and take the gospel to Macedonia. So starting in verse number 11, it says this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, 
and from there to Philippi. All right, and so this is important. Philippi is where we see later on Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi, the Philippians. So they land in Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonian, uh, Macedonia and a Roman colony. So it's an important uh, city. We remained in this city some days. Again, very vague, right? So they land there. They're in the city for some days. Verse number 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. Y'all remember Paul's, uh, Paul's typical um, strategy when he would come into a new place? Where was the first place he would go? Y'all remember? It was a synagogue. It was where the Jews gathered. He would start with, with the Jewish people in the synagogue. There's apparently no synagogue in Philippi. And so he goes to this place of prayer. They sit down. They speak to these women who had come together. Verse number 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And this, this line is so important. She's listening to Paul. She's listening to the preaching of the gospel. She's, she's like Cornelius was. She's a God-fearer, but she listens. And here's what it says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I just want to pause there for a second. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. Y'all realize that every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus, every, every time somebody's life is turned upside down and tra transformed by the gospel, this is the same thing that happens, that the Lord has to open your heart, the Lord has to open my heart to even pay attention to what he's saying to us. And sometimes God does this through circumstances that make us wake up and pay attention. Uh, sometimes God uh, uses different circumstances to, to, to make us pause and to think through things and, and to make us open. But in either case, God does this every single time. He opens the heart. And this is why we often pray, God, open our hearts, open our minds, help us to see the things that you want us to see, help us to hear the things that you want us to hear, because this is absolutely a work of God to open our hearts to receive. And so this is what happens for Lydia. She opens her heart and God reaches her. Verse number 15, after she was baptized. So again, the, 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 the order of events throughout the book of Acts is faith in Christ baptism. So we see that on the day that we're going to celebrate baptisms. Pretty cool. So after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So uh, we didn't go into all the details with Lydia, but she's from Thyatira, the city of the purple dye trade purple dye and purple goods were expensive. They were luxurious. She was a wealthy woman. She had started her business or brought her business from Thyatira over here to Philippi. So she's got money. She's wealthy. She invites this whole group to stay with her, which indicates, man, she was a wealthy woman of means and she invites them. She insists that they stay with her. And so they do. And so we see her life transformed. We move into this next story of the, the slave girl. Verse number 16, it says this, and as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. In other words, she was a demon-possessed girl. And she was, she was uh, making profit for her owner. She was a slave. She was not only a slave to her, her, her earthly owners, she was a slave to this demon that was controlling her. And so Paul and Silas meet her, it says in verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And I love, love this next line. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. All right, I just love this because sometimes we're like, man, Paul was like the perfect human being. He never sinned. And I don't know that he sinned here, but I love that it just tells us, you know what? Paul was like annoyed out of his mind because she would not leave him alone. But he was patient. 
for like many days. She's following him. She's, you know, pronouncing this. And finally, he gets so irritated by her and by what the, what, what's going on in her. And so it says, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, that's all we see about this slave girl. She was demon-possessed. She is actually speaking truth. And so you're kind of like, in a way, like, why would, why would Paul rebuke her for speaking truth? That, you know, he's pointing these people to Christ, to the Savior. Well, the reason why is because she was demon-possessed. And so what the enemy is trying to do is connect, like, the demonic to what God's people are doing, to what these preachers, these gospel messengers are doing. And so Paul is trying to distance himself. And, and you see in the ministry of Jesus that, that there were often demon-possessed people who would speak truth. But even though they were speaking truth, every single time, Jesus would rebuke them, right? And so this is the same case here. And he rebukes the, 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 the spirit in her, the demon. And we would presume that, that this freedom from this demon led to her, her faith in Christ. It's kind of like the story. You remember the, the, the legion that Jesus dealt with? The man who was possessed by a demon and Jesus cast the, the, the legion of demons into the herd of swine who ran off the cliff. And then the next thing you know is that man was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. He, he had come to faith in Christ. And so we assume this is what happened with, with this slave girl. But then we move into this third and kind of final story. And it's the story of the Philippian jailer. Man, I wish we, wish we had more, a whole other week or even two to, to talk about this story. But let's just look at this final story, this life-changing story, starting in verse number 19. So, demon-possessed girl, the demon is cast out, verse number 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. By the way, these were false accusations. Verse number 22, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So they're beaten, they're beaten with rods, they're thrown into prison. This jailer is given orders to keep them. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse number 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? It says they were praying and they were what? Singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were, were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had what? Believed in God. This is an incredible, incredible story of, of life change. And I love, the, I love the comparisons and the contrasts in this, right? You see the jailer who is charged with keeping them safely. And so it says that he fastened their feet in the stocks. 
And then you move ahead a few minutes, and what it says is that though he fastened their feet, God unfastened their feet. You see that they were in this place of distress, right? They had just been beaten they would just been imprisoned into the inner prison, and they're in this place of distress, and yet what do we find them doing in their distress? They're praying, and they're singing to the Lord. They're singing to the Lord. Can I, can I just say this, that we are, we, are, we are a singing people, God's people, that we sing to declare our worship and our praise. There may be no more important time to sing to the Lord than when you're in distress, you know what I'm saying? This is what they were doing. They were singing. They were praying. They were prisoners. But, but here's, here's the reality of what's taking place. The prisoners were actually the ones who were free in this story. They were spiritually free. The jailer was the one who was imprisoned. He was the one that was in bondage to his sin and so this earthquake shakes the place, the, the prison doors swing open, the, the, the shackles fall off, but Paul and Silas aren't the ones who go free. They stay there. They stay there for the sake of this one who is in prison, and the jailer is the one in this story who goes free. This is an amazing, amazing thing. In fact, when you, when you walk through this story, if you go back to verse 26, I just want to reconsider what's happening physically in verse 26 because what happens physically in this prison is, is what happens spiritually in this story to the jailer. Look at verse 26 again. It says this. It says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And so in order for you and I to come to faith in Christ, to see God for all, in all of his glory, for who he is, man, we have to be shaken to the very core. Amen? God has to rock our world to open us up to the possibility of a God who is powerful, a God who loves us personally and intimately. And so you see the foundations are shaken and immediately all the doors were what? They're open. They swing wide and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The prison doors swung open. So for the, this, this jailer, man, the door, uh, the door of his heart swings open wide. Just like Lydia, the Lord opened his heart up to hear, to pay attention. In fact, he, he himself asked the question, hey, I've been listening to you. I've been watching your life. I'm he hearing you sing praise to this God in the midst of this prison, beaten half to death, and you're singing and worshiping, how do I get what you have? How do I get saved? How do I get forgiven? He, he is not fearful of the earthquake. Now he is fearful of this God who shakes the foundations of things. And he says, what must I do? What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to be forgiven? And he says, it says, they said in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What an amazing, amazing story. G. Campbell Morgan says this, any man can sing when the prison doors are open and he is set free. The Christian soul sings in prison. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Isn't it? John Stott says this, instead of cursing men, they blessed God, in the midst of their distress, man, they blessed the Lord. David Guzik said this, the circumstances said escape. When, when those doors swung open, when, when the bonds were released, their circumstances said escape. But love said stay for the sake of this one soul. They were not guided merely by circumstances. Pay attention to this. They were not guided merely by their circumstances. No, they were compelled by love. They were compelled by love for their brother. They said, if I have to stay here, if I have to suffer so that this one man, this jailer could go free, we're going to stay. And so love compelled them. Now, the rest of the story, you all can read it in chapter 16. The magistrates come along. They say, let them go. And, and, and Paul says, wait a second. No, no, no. You're going to deal with this 
publicly, just like you, you, you flogged us publicly. And it wasn't because Paul was trying to like get back at them or like stick it to the man. No, he was trying to look out for the church there in Philippi. After he left, he wanted them in good relationship with the magistrates. And so he, he, he makes them let them go publicly. So listen, there's a ton of stuff here, all right? There's a ton, a ton of things that we can learn. There's a ton of application that we can learn from this chapter. And I, and I just want to do this. I just want to, uh, these are all conclusions that you could come to if you spend time in chapter 16. I just want to point them out pretty rapid fire and I want us to close. Here's, here's a few things. Here's the first thing. God wants to reach all kinds of people. God wants to reach all kinds of people. Wealthy, poor, blue collar, entrepreneurs, jailers, slave girls. He wants to reach all kinds of people. He loves everyone and he wants to reach everyone. And so maybe today you're outside of a relationship with Jesus. Can I just tell you today that he wants your heart. He wants to capture your heart. He wants to open your heart to the truth of who he is and how much he loves you. God wants to reach all kinds of people. God, here's a second thing, God will use all kinds of circumstances to grow you. He will use all kinds of circumstances to grow you. He may use a broken relationship like he did with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, he, he will shut doors. He will shut some doors. He will open other doors. Uh, he might let you suffer. You look at the story of Paul. It wasn't all roses. He suffered deeply, but God used those circumstances to grow him and to bring the gospel to others. He'll use all kinds of circumstances. He'll use whatever circumstances you're facing right now to grow you. Here's the third thing. The gospel goes further when we work together. I love this. This is about the beauty of the church. This is about the beauty of gospel friendships. God doesn't want us to go about living on mission alone. That's why he's put us in a family. The fourth thing is this. Big things happen when we're devoted to prayer. This is... A small thing, but a big thing. I don't know if you noticed, but in every single story, you can go back and look at it. I'm not going to look back at the verses, but what you'll see is that prayer is present in every single one of these stories. They're at a place of prayer in the first two stories. Paul and Silas are praying. There's always prayer taking place. God will do big things when we're devoted to prayer. And so listen, if you need something big to happen in your life, you need to God to intervene. You need to God to work. Pray. Pray and sing to the Lord who hears you. Here's another thing. God opens doors and hearts. God opens doors and hearts. He opened doors for Paul to get to Macedonia, to these people who needed the gospel. Verse 14 says he opened Lydia's heart to hear and receive, to pay attention to Paul. He opened prison doors not so that Paul and Silas could go free, but so that the jailer could go free. God is the one who opens doors and hearts. Some of you may have had your heart close to God. And my prayer is that one of these days, maybe today, God would open your heart to the truth of who he is and what he has done for you. Maybe you're praying for your one, for somebody that you know and love that has had a heart closed for years and years. Keep praying. God, would you open their hearts? Because you're the only one that can do that. He is the one who opens hearts and doors. Here's one more thing. Never underestimate the power of a faithful life. Live for the glory of God for all to see. Never underestimate the power of a faithful life. Whew, man, look at Paul and Silas, y'all. They are just faithful doing what God has called them to do. They're beaten, thrown in prison. And what are they doing? They're praying, they're singing to the Lord. It says that all the prisoners heard them. They're watching, they're listening. Can you imagine the last time some of those prisoners heard someone sing? And here they are in the midst of their shackles and they're hearing these men sing to God. They were just being faithful and it led to, I'm, I would guess that it wasn't just the jailer, but it was prisoners who came to faith in Christ. But here's what's really cool is that in the case of Lydia and the case of the jailer, it wasn't just their lives that were changed. Did you, did you catch who else 
who else came to Christ, who else got baptized? It was them and their entire household. It was the people that they knew best that they lived closest to. They saw a life lived for the glory of God and it changed them. Lydia's generosity, we won't go there, but when you, look, when you read through the chapter, Paul, they, Paul and Silas get released from prison. They go back to Lydia's place. All the brothers are gathered there. You know what happens here? This is where the church in Philippi, the first gospel church in Europe is established in Lydia's home. Why? Because she was just being faithful with her wealth and what God had given her. And this is the place where God plants a church. Never underestimate the power of a faithful life. Live for the glory of God for all to see. And so keep being faithful. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9, I just want to encourage you with this verse. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Man, don't give up. Keep being faithful. You will see the fruit of it. And so back to that last point that we started with is, is this. God is always orchestrating things to accomplish his purposes. And he uses those who follow his lead. So keep being faithful, keep following his lead wherever he leads you. And listen, y'all, keep your heart open, allow him to change your plans for his glory and your good. Sometimes God's greatest work in our life, sometimes God's greatest work in our life happens when we let him alter our, our plans when we let him alter our course. So let me end with this one quote and I'll pray. Here's what missionary David Livingstone said. He said, without Christ, not one step. With, with him, anywhere, anywhere. God, wherever you call me, whatever circumstances you call me to, man, I wanna be faithful to you. I know you're orchestrating things. I know you will use me wherever I go, whether it's in a prayer meeting, whether it's walking along the way, whether it's imprisoned. God, I know you're gonna use me. And so wherever you lead me, I will follow. And so Lord, this morning, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Man, so many things we see and learn. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of Paul to go wherever you called him to. And Lord, our desire as your people is to just be faithful to you. Lord, we realize that you orchestrate things in ways that we could never understand. You allow us to experience things that we would never want to experience. You will allow relationships to uh, end in separation that we would never want to be separated. You do all kinds of things that we would never choose, that we would never understand in our wisdom. Uh, we would never orchestrate. And God, you do all of these things for your purpose in our life and in the lives of others and ultimately for the kingdom of God, for your glory. And so God, help us to follow you, help us to obediently submit to you. God, we wanna be used for your glory, for our good. And so Lord, help us, help us to make room for you to do all that you wanna do in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.